0: Well, good morning. Last week, I went to get some shots uh, for an upcoming mission trip that I'll be leading to Uganda uh, in September. And I had pre-registered to get the shots. And when I got there, I found it a little bit strange. They were having problems finding my name. I thought, well, I've already pre-registered. I'm not sure what the problem is. But eventually, they discovered the error. They had my name listed backwards. They had me listed as Shorter Keith. And the lady looked up and she said, when I saw that on the computer, I thought, man, that is a strange name, shorter key. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that when something is backwards, it usually doesn't work very well? If you don't put batteries in the flashlight the right way, if you put the batteries in the flashlight backwards, it's not going to work. Or have you ever put a shirt on backwards? Come on, raise your hand, be honest. Yeah, all right, several of us have. doesn't work very well, does it? Or... New dads, when they have that newborn baby for the very first time, and they're, they're going to put the diaper on them, for, you know, them by themselves, and they pick the baby up, and it's backwards. And they, feel, they think, well, that's okay. They soon find out, no, that's not okay. <laughs> Doesn't work very well. Backwards. I saw this week a picture. If I ever become a grandfather, I'm going to buy a bib like this. I saw a picture of, a, you know, the baby bib you put on when they're about to eat something. The baby bib said, these fools put my cape on backwards. <laughs> you see, when something is backwards, it usually doesn't work very well. We're in a summer series called Authentic as we work our way through the book of First John. And today I want to talk to you about backwards Christianity. And here's what I mean by that. Too often... We love and hate the wrong things. We hate our brothers and we love the world. And somehow we think that's an okay to, okay way to live. Somehow we convince ourselves it's okay to be a Christian and to hate our brothers and to love the world. Ladies and gentlemen, that is backwards Christianity. And John shows us very pointedly in chapter 2 why it just won't work. Open your Bibles or your iPad or your smartphone or whatever you got the Bible on. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I want you to notice how John begins this portion of his letter. 1 John chapter 2 verse 7. Interesting how he begins this portion of the letter. He's In verse 7, the first two words are what? Dear friends. Now, so much of what John writes in this letter is a warning And some of what John writes in this letter is a rebuke. But even though he has some very hard things he is about to say, he speaks with love in his voice. That's a good lesson for every parent, for every pastor, for every leader to remember. When you have to speak the truth, try to speak the truth in love. And that's what John does. He speaks the truth in love beginning in verse 7 and 8. Dear friends... I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Now notice that John speaks of a command that is both old and new. Interesting wording there that he uses, a command that is both old and new, which brings up the question, a couple of questions. One, what is this command that he's referring to? Number two, how could it be both old and new? Well, if we had the time to really look at the context, you'd find out that probably the command that he's referring to is the command to love others. And he probably more than likely has in, in mind the words of Jesus that he heard Jesus speak. And, and he recorded those words in the Gospel of John. Put your finger in First John. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 13. The Gospel of John chapter 13. Verse 34. Jesus is speaking in this text. And here's what he says. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So how is this a new command? How is it both an old command and a new command? Well, going back to 1 John, look at it one more time. He says in verse 7, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had from the beginning. It was old in the sense it was already in the Bible. It was already in the Old Testament. In fact, this command was as old as the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. In those two passages, those two books, he tells us to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and he tells us to love our neighbors as well. So John was saying, this command I'm writing you about, it's an old command. It's, it's as old as Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's also as old as your relationship with Jesus Christ. He said you had that command at the beginning. In other words, from the very first time you started walking with Jesus, from the first time you became a Christian, this was the command we taught you. Love one another. It, this is not new information. This is an old command. But, he said, this old command is new. How is it new? Verse 8, he tells us it's new because Jesus has lifted this command to a whole new level. Verse 8. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in Jesus, and you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. William Barclay says it could well be said that men never really knew what love was until they saw it in Jesus. And John was saying, I'm going to write a com- I'm writing to you about a command that is both old and new. It's old that it's not new information, but it's new because it's been lifted and elevated. In the life of Jesus, so you might ask, okay, well, that's all, all in good, Pastor. But what does that have to do with today? What does that have to do with my life? Well, if you look at verse nine, John gets really to the point. In verse nine, here's what he says: Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Notice the phrase, anyone who claims. Now, if you're thinking at all, this is not the first time you've seen that wording. You've seen that wording throughout the book of John. As we've worked our way through this text, you've seen that wording, anyone who claims. In fact, let me rehearse it for you in case you haven't been here. Go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5 is kind of the foundational verse to the entire book. Chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. And here's the message, foundational to the entire book. God is what? Light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. God is completely authentic. He's light. There is no hint of darkness. There's no shade of darkness. He is completely authentic, and He wants us to be authentic as well. And so John, in the following verses, begins to give us four different ways that we can discern if we really are Christians. Four different ways to discern if we really do know this God. Four ways that we can test ourselves to see if we are in fellowship with this God we claim to know. And each of these four ways is introduced with the the phrasing, if we claim. So let's look at that. In verse 6 and 7, he gives us the lifestyle test. I'm not going to re-preach all of this. I just want to read the text, the lifestyle text. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John said, okay, here's the first test. Test of fellowship to test, if you know God, the lifestyle test. Number two is the awareness and confession of sin. Verse 8, if we claim, there's that wording, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. <clears throat> if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and the word has no place in our lives. That's the second test. John says, is there an awareness of sin in your life? And is there a desire to confess and repent of that sin? That's another example of whether or not you're in the faith, whether or not you know Christ. Then he said there's a third test, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. It's the obedience test. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says or the man who claims, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims, there's that wording, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's the obedience test. Then we come to the fourth one today's text. The fourth test to determine if we really know Christ or not, the fourth test to help us discern if we're really in the faith is this love for other believers. Read the text with me again now with that background. Verse 9. Anyone who claims, there's that wording again. Anyone who claims to be in the light, that is to have a relationship with God, anyone who claims to be in a relationship with God, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I want you to notice the contrast between what one claims and what one lives. In verse 9 especially. If anyone claims to be in the light but hates his brother, John says... He is still in darkness. Now that word still is a very, very important word. It indicates that time has passed, but nothing has changed. Say it with me. Time has passed, but nothing has changed. Say it again. Still indicates this. Time has passed, but nothing has changed. You know, let me illustrate it for you this way. It's like if you go home, if you've got teenagers, you go home, maybe one Saturday you went out and you did some things, you came back home, and it's 1: 1, 1:30 in the afternoon, and you're looking for your son or your daughter, and you can't find them. You don't know where they are. And eventually, you, you, you make your way to the bedroom door, and sure enough, there's this pile of something, and you see a head sticking out. And you stand there at 1:30 in the afternoon, and you're captain obvious, and you say, "Are you still in bed?" Time has passed, nothing has changed, they're still in bed. Or, you go to the doctor, and he tells you, okay, here's your problem, here's the prescription, take this and you'll be better. A week later, you call the doctor and say, you know what, I'm taking everything you told me to take, I'm doing everything you told me to do, but I still have the same symptoms. Time has passed, nothing has changed where you and your wife go to marriage counseling. And the the counselor says, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. Here's how y'all can work on this together. But a month later, you're back to him and saying, time has passed. but We're still having problems. Nothing has changed. It's the same word that Jesus used in Mark 4.40. In Mark uh, 4.40, after calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he looked at his disciples and said, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Uh, There's been plenty of time to develop faith. Why are you still afraid? Time has passed. Nothing has changed. Now John says, in verse 9, Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Time has passed, but nothing has changed. Anyone who claims to know God, yet there is still hatred in his heart, it might be years ago that he walked the aisle. It might be years ago that, that she was baptized. It might be years ago that they made a profession of faith. It might be years ago and they've been involved in church for a long time. And they've been teaching and serving. And they're deacon. And there are all kinds of things. They've sang in the choir. There, there are lots of things. But John says, Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother, is still... In the darkness. Time has passed. But nothing has changed. It's still. In the darkness. At this moment. Is still. In the darkness. Now, let that sink in for a moment. That is a sobering thought. It is impossible to be in fellowship with God. And hate another person at the same time. I want you to hear that again. It is impossible to be in fellowship and in a relationship with God and hate another person at the same time. Now, before you get mad at me for saying that, because some of you really like your hatred. I mean, you really do. You are so mad at somebody and you hate them so much. And it it just... makes you angry at me that I would have the audacity to say that if you had hatred in your heart, you might not have a real relationship with the God who is love. And you're just fired up because how dare you to say that you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did. You don't know what they And you're right, I don't. I don't. What I do know is what God says. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I just want you to read with me what God says. Look what God says in chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning in verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Here's how we know that we're saved. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Okay? Anyone who does not love remains. Remains in death. Time has passed, but nothing has changed. He remains in death. Verse 15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Present tense, there is no murderer. He says, you don't have eternal life if you have that hatred in your heart. Now go to chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Look at chapter 4, verse 19 and following. We love because He, God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't say that. God said that. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, not a suggestion, but a command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now let me say it as clearly as I can. If there is an absence of love in your life, there is an absence of God in your life. God is love. God is is not hate. Where does the hate come come from? It does not come from God. So we go back to chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 10 and 11, and it it explains it to us very clearly. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. You know what that's saying? It's just easier to live in love. It's easier to live a lifestyle of love. Much harder to live a lifestyle of hate. It's much, much easier to live a life of love. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in, in present tense, is in the darkness. And walks around in the darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now I want you to notice very carefully, I have told you over and over and over, as long as I've been your pastor, whenever you see a word repeated in Scripture, especially if it's in a verse or two, it's it's like a red light blinking saying, this is very, very important. Don't miss this. John repeats the word darkness three times in one verse. Verse 11, look at it. But whoever hates his brother, that's what introduces this verse, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness not in the light. He walks around in the darkness. He's living in the darkness. And he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, let let me try to answer something that probably some of you are already thinking and wondering and fearing. I am not saying that if you've ever been angry at somebody, you're not saved. I am not saying that if you've ever said, I hate him. I'm not saying you're not saved. But I am saying this. If there is a lifestyle of hatred. If there is an ongoing hatred. You need to ask yourself. Am I in the darkness? Because where does that hatred come from? Well I'll tell you right now where it comes from. It comes from what he did to me. No. 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 It's coming from somewhere else. Because you're deciding how you respond to what He did to you. You're deciding that. You see, here's what I really want you to understand. When Jesus comes into your life, He changes your heart. Did you get that? When He comes into your life, He changes your heart. Not only your heart towards God, but your heart towards others. John even said it in this text. If you claim, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Because he doesn't just change your love towards God, your heart towards God. He also changes your heart towards others. You see, the people who have experienced God in their life show it by becoming like the God they have experienced. If he really lives in you, his love ought to be evident in you as well. True story. I, l- I love this story. It's a true story. I think he was a pastor, but this, this guy had a daughter who was uh, five or six years old. and You know, she got to the point where she was really asking about things about faith and asking Christ into her life and all that. And, and eventually, this, this pastor, this father, sat down with this child, talked to her, and she prayed to receive Christ. She, she asked Jesus into her heart, whatever words you want to use to describe that transaction of faith. She asked Jesus into her heart. She was, she was about five or six, she was awful excited about it, and about a week later, they were riding somewhere. She was in the back seat in her car seat, and you know how kids all of a sudden just say things or they've been thinking about something. and she said, "Daddy, how big is Jesus? How tall is Jesus?" He said, "Well, honey, I, I don 't know." I said, you know, he was a grown man. I, honey, I, let's just say he was 5'10", probably about 5'10". She was quiet for a little bit. Then she said, Daddy, how tall am I? He said, well, sweetheart, you're, you're about 3'6", about 3'6". She was quiet. Then a little bit later, she said, Daddy, I'm confused. If Jesus is 6' foot or 5'10", and I'm 3'6", and I ask him into my heart, shouldn't he just kind of be poking out all over? <laughs> i am tell you what, that's pretty good theology. Because if Jesus is in your heart, he ought to be poking out all over. That's what John was saying here. If you are walking in the light, if you claim to know God who is love, his love ought to be poking out all over. And if you... You don't have that kind of love, but you have instead hatred towards somebody else or towards a whole group of people. John says you are not in the light, but you are still, there's the word, still in darkness. Oh, you may have joined the church, but you're still in darkness. Uh, You may have been part of the church for a long time. You're still in darkness. You you may have been teaching for a long time, but John says, but let me tell you something. You are still in darkness darkness because you cannot get away from this fact that God is love he is not hate about this time I'm sure that the people in John's church were wondering if any of them were saved and so he goes on to say this verse 12 he he kind of reassures his readers that though he has spoken harshly he is confident of their salvation or at least many of them because this is what he says, verse 12. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And I write to you, fathers, because you know you have known him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning Now, write to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And everybody breathes the sigh of relief. I guess we're in. And then John the pastor says, oh, by the way, there's a second way that you can get your Christianity backwards. The first way is that you hate those you ought to love. The second way is this. You love what you ought to hate. And that's what he tells us in verses 15 and following. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we just said we're supposed to love people. It just, it just said that this is a sign that you really are a Christian, is that you love people. Now he's saying do not love the world or anything in the world. Well, let me help you understand what the word world means. There's three different Greek words in the, word to, in the New Testament to describe or that is used as the word world. The first word, world, it simply means the planet. The world that God's created. In fact, in in, uh, Acts chapter 17 verse 24, it says, God made the world our planet and everything in it. The second way that that word world is used, it means the world of humanity. That is, the people who live on that planet. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It wasn't talking about the globe, but it was talking about the people who lived on that planet. The world of humanity. For God so loved the world, people who live in the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Then the third use of the word world is the invisible world. And that's the use here in verse 15. What I mean by the invisible world is, I'm talking about Satan's system of opposing Christ on earth. In John twelve thirty one, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, Paul talked about following the ways of this world. It's talking about a worldly system that opposes God and the work of Christ on earth. It's the very opposite of everything that's godly. We belong to God, we're part of His family, and therefore we should not, we should not love what opposes our God. And so here's how he says it. Look in verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Worldly Christians are a contradiction. We're we're not to love the things that oppose the God we love. Well, what kind of things? Verse 16. For everything in the world, that is this worldly system that opposes God, everything in the world, everything that Satan uses are these. He's got three traps. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Three things that God uh, says you need to be careful about because these three things go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when when eve sinned when she disobeyed god what was it that caught her and what traps did satan use he used what we see here first of all the cravings of sinful man what the, what another translation calls the the what was it in your version the lust of the flesh the cravings of sinful man the lust of the flesh it says that eve saw the apple and saw she saw it and she wanted it. Or the fruit, not the apple, but the fruit. Then, the second thing that was a trap, the lust of the eyes. The Bible says that when she saw it, she desired it. it was the lust of the eyes. And then it talks about the, the boasting of what he has and does. Or as another translation talks about the, the lust, what does it say, the pride of life. Boasting about what you have and does it. So when she saw the fruit and saw that it was something that could make her wise. She took it. She ate it. John says here, I want to help you with this. These cravings that you have. Everything in the world. The cravings of sinful man. The lust of his eyes. The boasting of what he has and does. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. And then he says, the world and its desires Pass away but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Did you know there is a love that God hates? There is a love that God hates. God hates when you love what opposes Him. You and I have to decide what we're living for. He says you can live for the present world or you can live for eternity. You can live to please self or you can live with a purpose. You can live to please your own flesh. Or you can live to please God. Look how he brings it to a conclusion. Verse 17. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God. Lives forever. Not the man who knows the will of God. Not the man who teaches the will of God. Not the man who sings about the will of God. Not the man who talks about the will of God. But the man who does the will of God lives forever ladies and gentlemen here this is backwards christianity backwards christianity is when we love and hate the wrong things i'm going to ask you to ask yourself two major questions the first question is one that only you can answer but i want you to ask yourself very honestly ask yourself am i still in darkness am i still in darkness you know how you can tell if there is a seething, ongoing hatred in your heart, the Bible says you're still in darkness. You've never experienced the love of God. Ask yourself that question. Am I still in darkness? Well, I know we've all probably said, I hate him. I hate her. Teenagers sometimes say that. Teenagers are really bad about saying that sometimes. Oh, oh I hate her. I'm not talking about being angry. I'm talking about a hatred. Ask yourself the question, am I still in darkness? If you are, today's the day that you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something, when you ask Him into your heart and, and really surrender everything in you, even the hatred that is in you, you will experience what you've never experienced before, that is the love of God. The love of God is what some of you have been missing. You've known about the work of God and the people of God and the Word of God but you've never experienced the love of God. Ask yourself the first question. Am I in darkness? Here's the second question. Number two. Am I loving the wrong things? Am I loving the wrong things? The things that oppose God the things that oppose God's will in my life, the things that, have, that oppose God working in my life, am I clinging to, loving the wrong things? Would you bow your heads with me as we wrestle with those two questions today? A Christian can't help but being in the world, but when the world is in the Christian, that's when trouble starts. Only you know today, only you know if you need to respond. But I have the suspicion that right now, some of you know that very, very clearly, very certainly, God is speaking to you. And then there's this turmoil inside about how you will respond or what you will do. My prayer has simply been this before we came out today. My prayer was simply this, somebody's life would be changed. Would you like your life to be changed? Then you need to allow God to change you. And God is love. You first of all need to experience that love. And only then can you share it. And so Lord I pray that if anybody today needs to open their heart to You, even if they've been a part of this church for many, many years, I pray that Your Spirit would convict them if they are still in darkness. And I pray that they would gladly, quickly, willingly surrender their life to You. And I pray for those who also may be saved and they're, they're Christians, but at the same time they're loving the wrong things. They're loving what you hate. Things have crept into their life, into their home, into their heart that are worldly, that are opposing what you want to do in their life. And I pray that they would repent, that they would turn from that and turn back to you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.